Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Well, what's up, Block Church? It is so good to be in the house today. My name is Alvin, and I am the Parking and Security Coordinator for the Northeast location. I want to take a second to welcome everyone at every physical location as well as our online location. We love you, and we hope that you're enjoying getting to know one another in the body of Christ through block groups, which is now in its fourth week. You know, I want to encourage everyone, if you have not signed up for a block group yet, today is the day. Get online, get on the app, get on the website, and sign up for a group. You do not want to miss that. And I'll also say that if you're part of a group already and you haven't fully engaged yet, I encourage you to do that, to share your testimony, share what God is doing in your life, and let other people be a part of it and be encouraged. In our specific group this past week, so many people share their testimonies about how God God moved in their lives and redeemed them. And we have Victor, who's right behind the camera in the Northeast location, who literally said, yeah, who literally said that if he had not gotten saved this year, he literally would be dead. And it's just amazing and it's an encouraging to see how God is redeeming people and is increasing all of our faith. So get plugged in and have more purpose and value throughout your week. So we're continuing this gold mine of a series called Point of View, P-O-V. And we're studying the words of Jesus. And the reason why we're doing this is because so many of the words of Jesus often can be taken out of context. It can be considered to be, why did God be so dismissive like that? Why was Jesus rude in that way? Well, we're taking time going through the point of view of Jesus throughout his journey and throughout his ministry. And it's helping us grow closer to him. Having the past few weeks... Just been amazing. I want to take a moment to honor our lead pastors, Pastor Joey and Pastor Lauren. It wasn't too long ago that I spoke to an older member of this church who told me that he's seen over the last 40 years, many people try and attempt to do what Pastor Joey and Pastor Lauren have been called to do. And I mentioned this because the task is pretty tall to evangelize the sixth largest city in the country. And so I'm grateful for the care that they have for us and the way that they're stewarding this mission that they've so clearly been called to. And oftentimes when I think of the story of how this church came to be, it kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. Not for myself, but more of like a secondhand discomfort for Pastor Joey and Pastor Lauren and like all the young men and women that hopped in this car and drove all the way over here to start this thing in Philly. When I first met Pastor Xavier, he told me that he was like 14 or 15 when he left Illinois to come here. And I went back to Chicago not that long ago. There's still Amber Alerts going off looking for him. (laughs) I was like, don't worry. He's pastoring the Northwest right now. He's okay. (laughs) But there's this discomfort because people left their jobs. People left their families. They left their parents. They left their friends. They lived in places that were unfamiliar to them. They went from two car garages to putting a plastic chair on the curb so nobody takes their (laughs) shovel parking spot. 
But people made sacrifices to be obedient and they fully agree, uh, uh, agreed and obeyed the cost to follow Jesus. And because of this, in the last eight years, 879 people got baptized. On top of that, 4,136 people responded for salvation. So I want to say that if you're new to the church or if this is your first time here, you're not inheritors of something that one person said yes to Jesus for one time. Rather, you're inheriting what a multitude of people consistently said yes and was obedient to Jesus for. And so it might be the hardest thing that you could ever do to say yes to Jesus. But without a doubt, it is the most rewarding. And we are a testament of that. So with that being said, I want to take a portion of scripture that includes three people that could have said yes to Jesus, but for whatever reason, they did it. In fact, they had their own reasons. And from our perspective, these three people, it seemed very logical as to why they couldn't say yes to Jesus immediately. They had their own reasons, but from Jesus's point of view, it's not all that it seems. And if it's your first time here, you picked a really, really awkward time to come because you're going to be uncomfortable. We're all going to be uncomfortable because this portion of scripture makes us uncomfortable. It's going to make us feel unsettled, but I want you to digest this. So we're going to read this. And if you want, you can put yourself in the shoes of these three people. But then we're going to look at it from the point of view of Jesus. And to give you context, Jesus is traveling down a very specific road. And when he's traveling down this road, I want you to remember that he's traveling down a very specific road and three people are encountered by Jesus. And we're going to turn to Luke chapter 9 verses 57 to 60. And it says that as they were going along the road, someone, the first person, said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Then the second person, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Then there's this third person. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Three potential disciples, three would-be disciples, I call them, that we just read. Scripture doesn't say or end up saying what happened to these people. Perhaps they did follow Jesus, but it wasn't likely. And the reason why these three people were highlighted was because there's something that was in their nature that would keep them from being willing to pay the cost to follow Jesus fully. See, Jesus wasn't being exclusive. He wasn't being rude. He was just able to discern the hearts of these people in the same way he can discern the hearts of you and I. And he knew the intention behind them following them and not being willing to fully pay the cost. Do you guys know that meme, it's my toxic trait? Basically, people post videos or pictures of really hard things being made to look easy. And then you say, hey, I can do that. 
Well, here's one that really resonates with me. I have watched American Ninja Warrior my entire adult life. And I promise you, I can get to the other side of this in five seconds flat. Right? Who's with me on that? Like, it never made sense to me how people just get bonged on the second leg. It makes no sense to me. But my toxic trait is that I can do that. And that is the exact energy that the first would-be disciple goes up to Jesus with. It says there, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. It was extremely rash of this guy. Because he was coming up to Jesus, he was excited at the thought of following Jesus, but he says, I will follow you wherever you go. It doesn't matter, wherever you go, I will follow you. And we see how Jesus responded. But the context that we don't see here is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 19. It gives a little bit more detail as to who this guy was that came up to Jesus. And this man was described to be a scribe. A scribe was someone who was a teacher of the law. They knew the word of God. They were legal specialists and they were people that were skilled at interpreting the law. They can look at a situation and say, okay, is that considered work on the Sabbath? They would be able to discern that because they were legal experts when it came to the law. And typically Jesus opposed these people because these were the types of people that they knew the word of God theoretically, but they didn't know how to, how, how to follow God with their heart. They didn't know how to posture their heart to really mean it but here was this one guy who understood and knew the authority of Jesus and even though he was a scribe that probably served many of the rabbis comes up to Jesus and says I want to follow you wherever you go I understand the authority that you have and it seems somewhat room for Jesus to look at someone who's asking him, hey, I want to follow you. And he's saying, yo, foxes got it made and, you know, birds got a home, but I've got nothing for you. If you follow me, it's going to be hard. Like I equate that to a, an employer who puts up a job posting and says, hey, I need you to work for me. And someone comes in who fits the criteria. And then the employer is like, you know what? Actually, like we're full. That's exactly what's happening here. But Jesus knew the intention of this scribe. You see, when a scribe would follow a rabbi, it came with certain privileges in Israel. You were respected. You were honored. You were considered to be an academic. And scribes would serve under rabbis, and they would have access to the best homes. They would have access to all the comfort, the best food. And they would be the most respected while being under the teaching of someone that they respected too. In other words, it was somewhat of a cushy life. This guy was an experienced scribe. And Jesus, knowing what this man would expect, he was saying, I need you to know this is not going to be easy. This is not what you're used to. It will not be comfortable. It will come with a great cost because I don't even have a place to lay my head and I'm your rabbi. That's the context with which Jesus is coming from. He's reminding him of the cost. You can come with me. I'll gladly have you. But just know that it means that you're not going to have a place to lay your head. You're not going to have the comforts of your home. Will you still follow me wherever I go? 
if your life, church, is exactly the same after you follow Christ than it was before you came to Christ, there's something seriously wrong with that picture. Because following Christ will cost you your popularity. It's going to cost you your friendships. It's going to cost you your relationships. It's going to cost you free time that you once had because now when you have all this free time, you need to purposely use it to advance the kingdom of God. The responsibilities that you have as a follower of Christ is no longer rooted in what is best for me, but is what is best for us and how does God get the glory. Your perspective shifts away from inward and is now outwards and following Christ will cost you habits that otherwise you'd be willing to give up you would not be willing to give up so following Jesus might be uncomfortable for a moment but being the disciple of Christ being someone that follows Christ fully is incomparable to any type of hardship that you might have and Jesus is simply making it clear to this expert in when it comes to being a disciple and says, this is not what you're used to. Will you now follow me wherever I go? Does that guy make sense to you? We're going to hop over to the second would-be disciple. It says in Luke chapter 9, verse 59, to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. See, this disciple was different from the first because the first one came to Jesus, but this one was called by Jesus. And he was totally down to follow Jesus, but first he wanted to bury his father. That seems pretty reasonable. That seems extremely reasonable. Jesus, I want to follow you, but I have got things I've got to handle first. My father just passed away. I'm going to bury him, and then I'm going to come right back over to you. And it, when I was reading this text growing up, it always broke my heart. I won't even lie. It made me look at Jesus in a very different way because I was like, God, that's kind of rude. That's kind of mean because this guy's dad just died, and he just wants to bury him. And you're basically telling him no. And I was like, God, like, you are the one that told us to honor your father and mother. Like, why would you contradict yourself here? And then as I began to read this portion of scripture more and more and more, you see something very peculiar. It never says that his dad was dead. It never once said that his dad was dead. He said, first, let me go and bury my father. Well, if his father was dead, he wouldn't be on this excluded road all the way outside of town. But the reality of this was, he's like, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but let me wait until my father dies. After my father dies, I'll be able to do the customary period of mourning that is always common for the Jewish culture. And then I'll be able to collect the inheritance that he has for me because I'm probably his oldest son. And life is going to be a little bit more set up for me. It's going to be cushy. And I'm going to have all the conveniences that I wanted. And then... I'll come follow you. Wow. And that is the context in which this man is coming up to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me. But this person is exposed because Jesus is showing the misplaced priorities of this, this would-be disciple. Because this disciple was waiting for a time period that was the most convenient for him. 
And Jesus wanted him to forsake that man's priorities. I want you to forsake what you think is important. And I want you to focus on me because I'm the most important thing. But this man who wanted to follow Jesus, he created his own conditions. He created his own timeline. He created his own conditions. And by doing this, he actually set up an indefinite delay for when he would be able to enter into everything that Jesus had for him. And I want to ask you, does that sound familiar for all of us? Where we know what Jesus has called us for. We remember from when we were children where people would speak over us. You're going to be a blessed woman. You're going to be a blessed man. And somewhere along the way, we get distracted and we begin to set up our own conditions. And we say, God, when I make this much amount of money, when I have it made in this capacity, and then I'll serve you. We set up all of these conditions and now we're towards our deathbed and we don't know who Jesus is. And we haven't been able to live to the fullness of his calling over us be careful not to set up an indefinite delay when jesus is calling you today you see there's always going to be earthly and temporary commitments that seem worth it to us it might be starting a business it might be jumping into a relationship it it might be taking that job it might be going to that school none of these things are inherently wrong they're all good things but any decision that you make, I'm telling you, needs to be looked at from the lens of eternity. In other words, in everything, will this build the kingdom of God or will it build myself? That's the only thing and filter that you need to have. Because in this body of Christ, we're outward focused. Does it build the kingdom of God or does it build up myself? If it's something that builds the kingdom of God, if you have the peace, you run towards it. If it's something that builds up yourself, you take it to the Lord in prayer. And say, God, is this what you want for me today? Is this where I need to move? Is this a relationship that I need to get into? Is this a job that I need to quit? Or is this a job that I need to jump into? Regardless of what it is, look at it from the lens of eternity and you will never have a moment of regret in your life true discipleship requires us to have instant action and there's no better time because jesus is calling you today i grew up in the church my entire life i was one of those people that grew up in a charismatic home my parents would slap me with the holy ghost before we went to sleep you know, you would not, you, you learn to sleep through like spiritual warfare. I loved it. <laughs> it was like my white noise. <laughs> but it wasn't until 2014. It was not until 2014 when I encountered Jesus in a real way. And I said yes to him and I meant it. You see, I traveled to Michigan to attend a conference. And this conference, I had no intention of doing anything or going for any godly purpose. I had no intention to seek God at this event. A group of my friends, five or six of us said, hey, we're going to go to Michigan. There's some Christian conference that's happening there. But there's a really nice hotel that we have saved up. And there's some attractive women there and this, that, and a third. And I don't know why I got this new suit. And I was like, let me go ahead and stunt on some people. And I decided to go. <laughs> And so I went and imagined the fear of God or the lack of 
the fear of God that I had. To go to this Christian event without any type of intention of being someone that was truly going to be focused on God. And I remember, like, we were all broke college kids. Five of us went. We booked out a hotel room. And the conference was being held at the Lansing Convention Center. And it is a room that held thousands of people. And I skipped mostly all of the meetings. It was of no interest of me. But for whatever reason, I decided to go down to the Saturday evening meeting. Probably so that I can at least tell my parents that I went to one of the meetings. So I technically wouldn't be, like, outright lying to them. And the arena was filled. Every single seat was filled. There wasn't a single seat that was, that was unoccupied that I noticed until I saw this back of the arena. There was this section that was meant for pregnant women and mothers with strollers. And, you know, one lady gets up and I jacked her seat. That's how ruthless I was. I just took that. And I sat there in the back just kind of waiting it for it to end. And it is towards the end of the service. And there is like this bumper reel that kind of goes onto the screen. This little trailer that comes out right before the preacher comes out. And on this trailer, it's basically just highlighting and showcasing this preacher's entire ministry. How he's in South America and Africa and Guatemala and going all these different places. And he's preaching the gospel. And I'm looking at it and there's people that are like on wheelchairs standing up. And then there's people that are deaf that are now hearing and blind eyes that are seeing. And everybody was like, oh, but I was angry. I was angry at God for a number of reasons that weren't important as I look back at it. But I remember looking at that thinking, God, these people, if any of that is real, this guy over here is using special effects so that he can get people to be like all amazed at this and get donations at the end of this. I was angry. And I said, God, if any of that is even real, then I want you to show me your glory. And then I'll follow you. The most dangerous prayer I could have ever prayed. And I said it tongue in cheek. I said it so sarcastically. I said, if any of that is real, then you show me your glory. And the preacher comes out and he talks about only one thing. He just talks about sin. And he's talking about how sin is the very thing that separates us from a relationship with God. How sin, when it's in our lives and we allow ourselves to fall into sin, it takes away our peace, it takes away our purpose, and it takes away fulfillment from our life. And he's just saying that, and I don't know why, but for some reason, like my, my heart just started feeling like the callus of it was just falling off. And I felt like this five-year-old kid and I remember at the end of the sermon, he says, if anybody wants prayer, I want you to raise your hands. And there's thousands of people in this room, and I see practically every hand go up. And I didn't know what to do, so I just raised my hand. But when I see all these hands go up, I was like, this is not enough. And I started just running. I don't know where I was running, but I started running towards the front of the stadium, towards the altar. I don't know why I did it, but I didn't want God to just see my hands raised. I wanted him to see my legs move for some reason because I didn't know what else to do. And I start kind of running through the stadium and pushing chairs out the way and pushing toddlers out the way. I kick like three toddlers. I'm sorry if they're watching. And I get to the altar. I wasn't even 10 or 15 feet from the altar. And then the power of God just drops me to the floor. And I felt the glory of the Lord more than I would in 10 lifetimes. 
It felt like so much weight was pushing down on me. And for hours, that was around 8 p.m. at night, 8.45 in the evening, until 4 a.m., 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning, when the janitor said, you've got to leave. I can't begin to imagine to describe all of the wonders and miracles that took place over those eight or nine hours. But it's the reason that I'm standing here today. And it was at that moment that I said, Jesus, I'll follow you. Yes, I'm convinced. I will follow you. And so what I want to tell you today is that when Jesus calls you, don't negotiate. Don't hesitate. Don't try to set your own timeline. Don't try to set your own conditions. Don't try to create your own indefinite delay. Say yes today. I'll close shortly, but I want to show you the third would-be disciple. The third would-be disciple. It says, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, his position might be something that more resonates with so much of us he didn't ask for much he just said he wanted to say goodbye it sounded to be really really simple and this disciple was similar to the first in that he came to Jesus but unfortunately by saying that line he set this precedent that basically showed that he believed that the kingdom of God can be put off for other things and for so many of us we have people and priorities in our lives that we value Good things, good people, good responsibilities. So much so that when God calls us to take this leap of faith for him, we're really excited. We're really happy. We really want to be a part of this. But unfortunately, when we kind of go back to the old way of life, even if we're not fully engaged, we begin to think about the old people or the old situations or the old habits. What it does, we begin to see that our fervor for God begins to waver. And we are not as excited as we once were. How, much does, how many of us does that relate to? That we're on fire for God at one moment, but the moment we turn around for a second, it's like that flame begins to kind of dissipate. And so God is saying that here, like there's this individual, he's so great. He's someone that wants to follow Jesus. But the moment that he turns away for a second, his commitment and his strength begins to weaken. And he's not going to be as motivated as he was in the beginning. And so Jesus saw this level of commitment that was in this third person. And he saw it as something that well, you're going to be an effective disciple. You're going to be a purposeful disciple. But you cannot turn around. You cannot go back. Because I know that your commitment would waver if you turned away from me for even a moment. And Jesus is describing this thing saying a plowman cannot look behind him. He's saying a plowman who takes his hands off the plow, it's not going to work. What he's basically saying is that, hey, you know what? If you're digging something, if you're on a plow, you can't look behind you because the dig is not going to be straight anymore. You need to be focused and you need to set your eyes forward. 
And I love that he's basically saying that you cannot look back. A disciple cannot look back at his old life. He cannot look back at his old habits. He can't look back at his old friends. He can't look back at these things. And for some of you, that might be so hard. You're thinking of people in your life that you know right now are not good influences. They don't love you. They think that they love you. You might think that they love you, but they don't have the best interest for you if they are not part of this kingdom of God because the focus is not set on eternity and so you're thinking about these people and I want you to know this that if your eyes are set on them to any degree other than evangelizing them and bringing them to the family of Christ then you cannot set your eyes back on those people on those situations on that past even if it's prior shame if it's guilt that you have if it's things that happened in the past that you're thinking God you can't love me you can't accept me because of this even that is something that Jesus is saying I need you to turn away from and focus and say yes to me today you can't control the past you can't control how you were hurt you can't control the hurt that you might have caused others so Jesus is saying today follow me and I love how he brings up this topic of these of, of, of these plowmen and the oxen because we see in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 21, this story of Elisha. To give you context, there was a major prophet named Elijah. He was massive in the kingdom of God. He made fire fall from heaven and he himself ascended into heaven. But when he was at the end of his ministry, there was someone that was, to be, that was supposed to replace him, whose name was Elisha. And he goes up to Elisha and says, will you follow God, will you be the new prophet of Israel? And Elisha, without any hesitation, what he does is he goes back to his home. He goes back to his home not to say goodbye to anyone. He's not doing any of that. He's not making it a somber moment. He was a wealthy man that owned a lot of oxen. He had a lot of equipment. He was a wealthy man. But it says that Elisha left him and went back and he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. Not only that, he burned the plowing equipment so that he can cook the meat and give it to people. And then they ate. And then he set out to follow Elisha. So some of the things that we need to do is we don't need to say goodbye to things. We need to put it to death. There's certain things in our lives that we're holding on to. Elisha went and killed his way of life because he didn't want any type of temptation to go back to it. He says, I'm following God. I'm following Jesus. This is my pathway forward. I'm also going to burn the equipment. And so many of us, there's things in our lives that you got to just basically completely remove, slaughter, kill and burn it's no longer a part of you and jesus is calling you to commitment today i told you that jesus was walking down a specific road in the beginning of this sermon and if you think that jesus was being extra or if you think that he was rushing people or if you're thinking that some things don't make sense i want you to look it look at it from his perspective and there's a really important detail that explains why he was so urgent right before Jesus even encounters these three disciples it says in Luke chapter 9 verse 51 when the days drew near for him to be taken up he set his face to go to Jerusalem Jesus came into agreement with the fact that his ministry was coming to an end on this earth 
And he knew that he would have to go to Jerusalem, which would be the very place that he would be slaughtered, where he would be killed and nailed to the middle cross for you and I. It was time for him to die on the cross. And Jerusalem would be the place where this happened. He didn't run. He didn't hide. He didn't try to buy more time. From where he was, it says that he set his face and began the journey to walk towards the land that he would be arrested and brutalized and killed. And it's on the way. It's on this road that he encounters these three disciples, these three would-be disciples. And each one of them thought that they had more time with Jesus. They said, I will follow you, but I've got to handle this first. And Jesus is saying, you don't get it. I'm going to die on this middle cross for you. Follow me now. And these disciples thought that they had everything figured out. I'm going to wait for my inheritance. I'm going to wait for when it's a more convenient time. I'm going to say goodbye to people. And Jesus is saying, I'm not stopping. I'm going to go. I have a mission that I will fulfill. That's the most powerful thing about this whole chapter. He needed them to say yes today. I'm going to ask if all of us can rise to our feet. There's this man of God, Alistair Begg. I love listening to his sermons, but he said that he can't wait to go to heaven because when he goes to heaven, he's going to ask the man that was on the cross next to Jesus, that thief that was on the cross, what made you think that you can be here? Because this thief on the cross, this criminal on the cross that was right next to Jesus, who was standing on the middle cross, this guy next to Jesus, didn't have any theological degree. He didn't go to any church. He didn't have any good community like you have. He was just hanging on that cross. And he asked Jesus, can I come? What made him worthy of being there? And the reality of it is, is that he would say, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. And for everyone that's here today, there's nothing that you and I can do. There's nothing that you and I can say. We are allowed to be a part of this family of Christ because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because he said that we can come. And he's inviting you to come today, not hesitate and wait for a better time, but to come today. And so I want to just give this invitation for, any, for, for all of us because tomorrow is not promised for any of us. Maybe you're like the scribe who knew the authority of God. You knew the authority of God, but you didn't want to be uncomfortable. You don't want to do what it takes to be uncomfortable to say yes to Jesus. Or maybe you're like that second man that wanted to wait until it was just a little bit more convenient for him where he made a little bit more money and he had a little bit more time and he wanted to use it to do different things before he said yes to Jesus. Or perhaps you're like that third would-be disciple who had bursts of faith and he was so excited. But the moment he walks away and goes back to his old way of life, he loses the fervor that he once had. Regardless of what type of would-be disciple you align with, every single one of us have elements of all three in us. And so with every head bowed, in every location, with everyone standing, every single head bowed, I want to give two opportunities the first opportunity is for those who have never experienced the love of Jesus. For those who have never said yes to him. Jesus is on this road and these 
people have to say yes today because they don't know what lies ahead. They don't know what Jesus has in store. You don't know what Jesus has in store for you. And the word of God says that if you want to be a follower of Christ, it's very simple. You just need to believe that Jesus is Lord and that God had raised him from the dead. You need to believe that he's alive. And the moment you do this, the moment you have this faith that makes you believe that, you'll be someone whose life is saved for eternity because the man on the middle cross says that you can come. And so today, without any type of hesitation, you might not be able to run to the altar, but I want you without hesitation, if you've never said yes to Jesus and you want to do that today, I want you to throw your hand up all across this room, no matter the location and online. If you want to say yes to Jesus, I want you to without hesitation say yes to Jesus because he died on the cross without hesitation with you. I'm going to linger in this moment. If you want to say yes to Jesus, if you never had, I want you to raise your hand. We'll stay here just one moment. If you want Jesus to come into your life, if you've never had that opportunity, today is the day. Don't let this moment pass you by. And for those of you who feel like you're one of these disciples, you know God, you know his authority, but you kind of went away for a period of time and things didn't work out the way that you wanted. And you're wondering, God, would you allow me back in your family? The answer is yes. He will welcome you back with open arms. If you want to rededicate yourself and say, God, I want to be back in your presence. I want you to raise your hand and we'll pray for you. Father, I pray for all of these people. I pray for everyone. I pray for everyone that has given their lives to Christ. All across this room, repeat this prayer after me if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. Father, we thank you and love you. We trust you. We thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. I confess with my mouth that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I welcome you as Lord of my life. Give me the faith and the strength to follow you as a disciple all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I pray a special blessing over all those who are rededicating themselves. May God bless you. Let's celebrate those who just entered the family of Christ. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories, and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.